Hello, everybody. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life. Because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. It's true. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, the premier free writing magazine on the Internet, featuring articles on writing and the writing life, as well as video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. My conversation with Richard Powers. Uh, interesting guy. You know, he won the Pulitzer for The Overstory a few years ago. And um, he's got a new book out, very different kind of book, much shorter, much more compact. And so we had a great conversation about the difference between those two books and what it's like to win the Pulitzer and kind of recover from that. There's a lot of brouhaha. Anyway, great conversation. Interesting guy, thoughtful guy, really nice guy. Find all that over at authormagazine.org. And we're funded by the good people at the Pacific Northwest Writers Association. They've been supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. We're going to keep doing it. And, uh, you know, we give classes, virtual classes, of course. But I think soon we'll be doing in-person classes again and writers' conferences, writers' contests, you know, all things. that Anything a writer would want, they can find it at the Pacific Northwest Writers Association. Of course, you don't have to be in the Pacific Northwest to join it and to benefit from it. No, you don't. Pretty much everything we offer, except for the in-person classes, you can get anywhere from wherever you are. So go check it out. Go over to pnwa.org. Okay. Well, is anything happening with me? No, not really. But that's okay. I mean, I got stuff happening. I always got stuff happening, people, but it's quiet. I, I'm doing it. I can't tell anyone about it, you know? So I'll tell you about it when it comes up. In the meantime, let's talk about today's guest. This is going to be interesting. Oh, these are all interesting, but this is really going to be interesting. Ah, I've been looking forward to talking to Laura Davis for a while. In her 30-plus year career as an author, Laura Davis has written seven nonfiction books that have changed people's lives. The Courage to Heal paved the way for hundreds of thousands to heal from the trauma of sexual abuse. Becoming the parent you want to be helps parents develop a mission for the families they want to create. And I thought we'd never speak again. The road from estrangement to reconciliation teaches the skills of reconciliation and peace building to the world, one relationship at a time. Laura's groundbreaking books have been translated into 11 languages and sold more than 2 million copies. Her new memoir, The Burning Light of Two Stars, tells the story of Laura's dramatic and tumultuous relationship with her mother, Teme. From the time of Laura's birth, her mother's death. This story about two souls who just couldn't quit each other provides a no-holds-barred peek at the real Laura, the woman behind the teacher, the facilitator, the author, and we've got the real Laura with us today. Yes, we do. Laura, how are you doing? I'm doing great. That was quite the introduction. <laughs> well, that's you. It's great to be that's here. You. Does it sound familiar? Can you believe you did all that yeah, stuff? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I do believe it. You know, um, I've I've been writing and using words to communicate my whole life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you say your whole life, like uh, childhood, girlhood, were you writing as a a nine, 10, 11 year old? Probably like eight years old. I remember we had one of those old, I think it was like a Remington manual typewriter. You had to push really hard on those keys and it had the black ribbon. And and, uh, my father taught me to type. 
And uh, I, I remember I typed my first story. I actually still have it. It was about, you know, someone traveling really? to Africa and all these wild animals. Wow. <laughs> so, yes, I was using words and telling stories from the time I was a little girl, and I, I just have never stopped. Wow. And so that so was that really because, let's see, the, the, the Courage to Heal, was that your first book, or did I, did I misunderstand the, 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 uh, the list? Or was that just the first one that really took off? No, The Courage to Heal was the first book I published. I, I co-wrote it with Ellen Bass, yeah. and it was a guidebook for women who had been sexually abused um, yeah. as children. And it, was, it, it really broke new ground because there had been nothing about the healing process, and it, it just took off in a way that I absolutely never anticipated. And I was 31 when it came out, so I was yeah. young, and I, was, I had written it coming out of my own experience of being right. a survivor of sexual abuse. And I was, yeah. when it came out, I was still in the throes of that process of healing. Yeah. And so it was a, a pretty dramatic to suddenly be catapulted to fame for the worst thing that had ever happened to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating. You do such a good job of portraying that in the book by in the burning light of two stars, by the way, I thought you just did a beautiful job of that. And I think it's fascinating. And, what were you, but, but for that, so you're 31, that's pretty young to be a famous author. Oh my God. Especially for something so dramatic and something so personal. What were you writing before then, before you wrote that book? You know, lots of short stories. I hadn't, I'd published a poem. Actually, the first right. time I wrote about my mother and got it published, I think I was 21 or 22 years old. And I, I had a poem that was included in this. I think it was called Mother to Daughter. It was an anthology by Tilly Olson. Okay. Um, so, you know, my mother as a as subject matter has been haunting me uh, for my whole life, really. Yeah. And it's just, yeah. you know, as I've matured, my perspective on that relationship, my capacity to portray us both as human flawed characters has grown. My yeah. compassion for both of us has grown. And so, you know, my the way I portray that the drama of that relationship now is very different than when I was in my early sure. 20s. Sure. Well, you know, when we're young. But, I, you know, I think, I think we all have, we have material that's like our material, and the muse says to us, oh, this is a story you need to tell, and if you try to walk away from it, you don't get yeah. another story until you write that one down. So I, I, you know, I really I think, felt compelled. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right, Laura. I, sometimes I, I teach a lot of writing, and students will say, oh, I got so many ideas. I don't know which one I should write. And I always tell them, just pick any one of them. It doesn't matter. You're going to end up writing the same story, no matter what one you think you're starting with. Absolutely. If, if you, I just think you're going to be, if, you, if, you're, if you're true to the mute, if you don't try to force something, you'll end up writing the same thing. So you were writing creatively. Now, yeah. what were you doing just, just sort of professionally? Like, how are you making a living in the world at that time? Well, let's see. In my 20s, I, I, I started out, I worked in a lot of restaurants. I was a bartender. Huh? I was a cocktail Hi. waitress. I was a hostess. I had a yeah. lot of really crappy jobs. And then professional job was I moved from California to Alaska to become um, a radio news reporter. And then what? I parlayed what? that into a job as a talk show host. And that was it, actually the best job I ever had was the, the year I was a talk show host in Alaska. I just loved interviewing people really um but now yeah. you didn't continue <laughs> I, doing I that handle living there 
you know, I, I just couldn't handle living in Alaska anymore. I was living on this rainy island where it rained yeah. 13 feet a year, and I just felt claustrophobic. And See? in order to make it in radio, as you know, I would have had to move from market to market to market. Yeah, yeah. And I, I just couldn't do it. I just didn't want yeah. to. I wanted to come back to California, and, and so I did. And I, I knew I was giving up my radio career at that point. Oh, well, interesting. And so did, did you – what did you like about interviewing people as someone who does it, you know, every once in a while? What did you like about it? I'm very curious about the human condition and what makes people tick. And I seem to have the ability to get people to really open up quickly and to feel safe. And so I just, mm-hmm. I love, you know, it's like with my writing students now, I am always asking them, what's the story under the story? You know, we all yeah. have these habitual yeah. stories we tell, like yeah. we have, it's almost like a tape, you push it and then this is what happened. And I yeah. have one about my mother. This is the story of my mother. We were estranged for seven years. We didn't speak. Right. And then as I got deeper into telling the story, I realized that was just the surface story that there was so much more going on oh, and it, it yeah. took me 10 years to write this book because I had to discover the story and I had to um, dig deep enough in myself to tell more of the truth. Not, not yeah. just about her, but absolutely about myself. Of course. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't write a story where she was the villain and I was the hero. Nope. You know, it had nope. to be, it had to be at the end where people would say, you know, on this page, I just loved your mother and I hated you. And on this page, I hated you and I just loved your mother. And when I started yeah. getting that kind of feedback, um, I knew I was finished. Good. Yeah. You know, you can't really, I teach memoir and I, uh, this, I sort of write it in short form, but I, I write about my own life all the time. I tell stories and you just can't have villains, really. You can't really have villains in the way you do in fiction, I don't think. Even your grandfather. I mean, obviously, he, he could be labeled a villain. But it can't be about getting him. It can't. It always has to be. How did you learn? What did you? How did you handle that situation? I, I think it always has to come back to the narrator and what he or she thought about, responded to, dealt with that situation. It can't be about. It can't be about just labeling who the bad guy is. Not in memoir. I don't think. I don't think. I, I find that really. You know, when my students come with stories like that, I, I'm pretty bored and I'll tell them I mean I'm, I'm polite you know but it's like, <laughs> I, for me that's not engaging as a reader no um, I'm really interested in in the complexity of people like I had there one scene um, in the memoir where I tell my mother about what her father did he was the he was right. the abuser and she right. had a, a pretty horrible reaction and it's a really pivotal scene in the book in the first draft it was, you know, poor me, and I was just, right. you know, it was terrible. Right. And my mother was an ogre, and I was working with right. this writing coach, and he had me go back, and he said, you have to rewrite the scene as if you had gotten the ideal response you always would have wanted. And I, oh, what so a great, oh, that's great. I, yeah, and I, I was sobbing. I mean, it was just so painful to write, but I wrote what I wish had happened. And as I wrote it, what I realized was that some of those things actually did happen and that the conversation oh. with my mother was not black and white. It was much more nuanced. It was much more layered. And so I was able to take some of what I had created in this fictional scene and weave it into the original. And then when you read it now, you don't know what's going to happen. You know, you can't tell. And there's, there's this push-pull that creates this tension that just wouldn't be there if one person was the victim and the other was the perpetrator, yeah. you know? So, well, yeah. And also the thing that's always hard to remember about other people is that 
if is a great teacher I, I really like named Byron Katie. I think she was the one who said I heard her say mm-hmm. first, which is if you believed what the that person believed, you would do what they did too. They they're only doing what they do because of they, what they believe to be true at the time they do it. They're not you know they're not being oh. a jerk to get you. They believe something to be true, and you happen to be there when it happens. Does that make sense? Yeah. So or just that you know. You know, what I had to realize ultimately is that I have a lot of strength of character and a lot of courage to show up for things that are hard in my life. And that yeah. I actually gained that skill from my mother, but I had uh, more of it than she did. So there were certain yeah. things I was able to face and deal with that she just couldn't. Some of yeah. it was generational. Um, some of it was, you know, her upbringing and the era in which she grew up and the expectations for women and a lot of other things. But yeah. you know, I think it, it, to write something like this, it takes, it takes getting a view of the whole situation that's beyond, you know, this mother and this daughter. You know, and, yeah. and the question I really wanted to answer is because this story takes place in my mother's old age. Uh, right. And that the inciting incident is she calls and she says, I'm moving across the country <laughs> to your town for the rest of my life. Here I and come. I'm like freaking out. <laughs> and, you know, I part of me wanted that to happen because I, I although we had reconciled to a certain degree, I part of me really longed to make peace with her and, and wanted sure. to know what is possible. Is it possible yeah. for us to actually reconnect on a deeper level and without me always protecting myself? Um, So, you know, the question was, can you, as an adult, can you caretake a parent who betrayed you? And I really wanted to explore that for myself as a daughter and also as an author. And I think there are millions of people in that same situation, and their circumstance might not be as extreme as the one that I tell. You know, it could be just a misunderstanding. Uh, But those things can really fester and get to the point where people are really bitterly estranged from each other. And... I think you holding, I think if we hold a grudge, we punish ourselves. I just don't think you do any, I think you are the one that suffers the most from holding a grudge. I don't think the other person may not know you're holding it or they may, but you're the one. I just don't think it does you any good. I think it eats you up. I do. I, I, I can't imagine how it would help you any as much as you think it might be deserved. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I think I think there's a difference between setting boundaries and sometimes oh, with certain yeah. people we have to set some boundaries. Oh, yes. We have to say, I'm not going to let you treat me this way anymore. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah but yeah. that's different than carrying something forever. And I think, you know, in the healing process, uh, one of the early stages is anger. I mean, it is important to be able to get angry when you have been mistreated. But of you course. can't carry that forward through the whole rest of your life. Um, uh-huh. And so, yeah, I think ultimately we want to get to a place of being able to let go of our resentments, you know, find some kind of resolution or forgiveness for someone and come to a place of peace inside ourselves. Uh, you know, there's a, I'm thinking of this one woman I, I interviewed once, and she had come from a, a really severe background with uh, parents who had not only abused her, they'd abused her children, their own grandchildren. Oh, oh, and so you know, she was oh. never, never going to see them again. She knew that right. they were just too toxic. But what she said is she had done, she did a lot of therapy. She did a lot of spiritual work. And she said, she got to the point where she said, you know, I had to close the door, but I left the porch light on. 
<laughs> and you know what she what she meant by that is that she found compassion for them. She yeah. she realized that these people were suffering with who they were twenty four seven. I mean that they were bitter, angry, closed, yep. suffering yeah. people. And from her perspective of having created a separate, healthy life for herself, she actually was able to look back with compassion on them. It didn't mean she wanted to be with them, no. but she wasn't carrying that bitterness anymore. No, because they're going to be what they are, probably, probably. You know, that's for, there's some people who just get are absolutely like that's that's where they are, and they not in, or they don't know how or not interested in changing it. You know, I think of this. I watched a movie about this guy. I can't remember the name of it, but it was just, it was made recently about a man who was wrongfully imprisoned in Guantanamo and, you know, suffered all kinds of horrendous abuse there, but he was released eventually. And, but he gave this great, I guess it was verbatim when he gave this talk at his trial where he said forgiveness, he had forgiven the people who had tortured him and who held him there. He said, because forgiveness is freedom. And I think he's absolutely right that forgiveness is freedom for the one forgiving. What do you think? I think that's true. You know, I think that the issue with forgiveness is, especially in the beginning stages, how much people push it on us, you know, so I don't think oh, it's, yeah. It's, yeah. it's not our place to tell someone, you know, put the past in the past, let it go. It happened right. a long time ago. I heard that uh, at a point when I really needed to claim what had happened to me, you know, but right. then I got to a point where I was, I was ready to let it go, but that was an inside process. It wasn't something yeah. anyone could require of me, and I couldn't skip all the steps in between no. to get to the place where I eventually got. So when you finished this, so you said it was ten. It took you when you say it took you ten years. Was like ten years with fits and starts, or were you working solidly <laughs> for ten years? <laughs> what was that like? Uh, well, you know, I, I tried a lot of things with this story. Like I said, the story kind of had me by the throat. And the first draft, uh, my mother was an actor. She was yeah. in worked in community theater for over 50 years. And so wow. at first I thought, I'm going to write it as a play because oh, I thought okay. that would be a great tribute to her. So I, I wrote a play, you know, and I, I showed it to a, a woman in my community who's a director, and she just looked at me. She said, Laura, this is not a play. It bears no <laughs> resemblance to a play. And, and, you know, so then I, I put that aside and I was kind of crushed for a while. So that was one period where I set it down because uh, I realized I didn't know how to write a play. Uh, then I wanted to write it as a epistolary memoir made up of oh, letters okay. because yep. uh, there was this incredible correspondence in real life that my mother and I had. Um, during the time we were estranged, we were writing letters to each other. This was, you know, all pre-internet, pre-email. And these right. letters were just phenomenal. Uh, you know, both of us were really articulate and feeling and thoughtful in these letters and they were angry and they were loving and they were, and so I took those letters and then I started, after she died, I started composing another set of letters to her, which were really, I think, more part of my grieving process where I was coming to terms with, you know, the 57 year relationship that we had had. Uh, right. So then I thought I would write a book called Dear Mom with all these letters. And I, right. I showed that to a bunch of um, beta readers. And, and the response I got was, well, I feel like I'm on the outside of a private conversation. I don't really oh, feel included. Don't feel so that in. was the second right. time that I just, okay. I just, all that had to become mulch, you know, for the right. fun. And then I finally approached it as a memoir, you know, and then, I had to learn a lot of things. I mean, as I said, I've been teaching writing for over 20 years, but I, the books I've written before have been information books, like 
how yeah. to reconcile, how to parent, yeah. how to yeah. heal. And that's really different than a full-length narrative totally. story. And yep. so I had to learn a lot about, you know, building suspense and what to leave in and what to leave out and how yep. to create tension and how to, um, how, to, how to build momentum in a story. And so that took me years. Um, and yeah. I worked with, you know, some really good editors and a couple coaches. And, um, and, there, and there were times I just had to set it aside because I just I felt like I wasn't capable I felt like right. I did not have the chops, even though I'd published yeah. books before. Well, but I'm, I'm really happy I got got it over the finish line. <laughs> yeah, but it's very different. Um, you know, I write both kinds of things, but I came first from fiction writing and poetry and all that. And so when I moved to stuff that was a little more how-to, I had to find my voice for that because it was different. But right. but the narrative, the you know, keeping things in scene and having it read almost like a work of fiction, it's just a different. It's a different voice. Right. And it requires a different way to look at. You can't step in there and talk about stuff all the time. You can't get in there and 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 help the reader the way you would if you were help like the way you helped people heal from sexual abuse. You just can't be there in that way as the author, right? You got to let the character do the talking. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Totally so for different. you, which of those different genres is your favorite? I would say personal essay. If I had to like, which is sort of where I do. It's like stories where. I come forward a little bit at the beginning and end and sort of offer opinion. So it's a little bit self-help, a little bit memoir. It's kind of a cross between the two. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that's where I'm mm-hmm. happiest, but my books have been sort of inspiring books for creative people. So there's a lot of stories, but there's a lot of my observations too. And so I like, so I, I, I think I'm a teacher at heart. And so I sort of fall back on that, but I love to tell stories. And I think stories are some of the best ways to yeah. teach people. You know, and I know that when you well, went out no, and gave me, oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, I just would say even in, in the nonfiction I wrote before, they were always filled with stories, you know, course, a right. little bit of mine, but mostly I interviewed tons of other people. And I, I always felt like you learn on the back of stories. Like that is how yes. people learn. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I always have to remember when I write a piece, if there's a story in it, I always want to make sure I don't, you know, a lot of times the story does the bulk of the work. And I don't I try not to, like, mm-hmm. just repeat what the reader got from the story. I, if anything, I just try to add a kind of flourish at the end of it um, or just sort of a, a coda, because oftentimes if I tell the story well, the story has done most of the teaching. It's mo- the, the reader already knows what I hope some version is being, you know, transmitted to them. But I got to remember that because I like, yeah, but- you know. People hire me to teach to stand in front of them and tell them stuff, and so I get used to doing that, and I like it. I think that we also have to trust our readers. You know, I I often have that conversation with my um, writing students is that you have to trust that the reader is bringing their own life experience to the story, um, and that, that if you spell things out too much, you kind of cut out the space for them to enter the story because it's all sealed up so tight. Yep. Um, and yep. I, I was, you know, as a as an author, many times over, I was always shocked. I would, you know, meet someone who had read a book, and they would start telling me about something in my book that actually wasn't there. But <laughs> they had interpreted <laughs> it that way. They had read it that way. And I learned to just not to, to yeah. ever refute them. You know, like, the, it's like the customer is right. And I would just say, oh, tell me more. That's so interesting. <laughs> that is my, one of my favorite stories about that. This is a little different, but I think it's so important that you – it also makes me rethink – the way 
literature is handled in college, which I was never a huge fan of. But I interviewed Yann Martel, who wrote The Life of Pi, mm-hmm. which, you know, just went global. and They made a movie about it and everything. And it's about this kid on a boat with a tiger, you know. And he meets this woman, and she says, I loved your book. Thank you. She says, I think it's just great that you wrote this book about marriage. And he said, uh, what? <laughs> he said, what? I wrote a book about marriage? And she said, he said, and she said, and she looked him square in the eye, and she said, I've been married, and that tiger is marriage. <laughs> he said, okay, then. I guess that's what it is. And I think it was such a great story, and it's so true. It's like, it's, it's strangely not up to us to decide what our book is about once we release it like a bird into the sky, right? It's right. whatever people that's make right. of it. Yeah. Even yeah, it's, it's like even something so personal as, you know, I'm sorry to cut you off, but even something as personal as this story of your life and it gets into the abuse and the relationship with your mom, it still becomes the reader's story when they read it, even though it's your story. Right. I mean, you know, any anyone who has care, been a caregiver for an aging parent, anyone who has dealt with someone with dementia, they're going to they're gonna start reading their life experience into yeah. this. Um, and I, yeah. I know that just from the early readers, you know, that it, it, it makes people ask questions. I mean, that's, that's the kind of feedback I love the most. You know, someone said to me the other day, they said, you know, I'm thinking about my mother and my daughter in a whole different way. You know, and, and, and someone else right. said, I'm going to have to take care of my mother. I've been dreading it. And now looking forward to it as an opportunity. Wow. You know, Gee. and I just felt like, you know, you, you can't hear better than that from a no. You know, you had an interesting life, Laura, in that your work has, well, and there's a whole group of people, and I, I guess I count myself amongst them, who write stuff that is really sort of meant to help, not sort of, but in your case, definitely meant to help people. And so you've had a lot of relationships with your readers that has been around their, how your work has helped them heal or build better relationships, better families, and of course, heal from that. And I, I, you probably take it for granted, I suppose, because it's just what you've been doing for so long. But there's a lot of writers who don't, or authors, who don't have it in that intense a way, you know, that because nothing wrong with entertaining people or writing mysteries or whatever, but it's a different relationship they have to their readers. I don't know if you, if, if that ever, if you ever reflect on that or if it's just you've known it for so long you don't know anything else. I, I, you know, I, I mostly feel really honored, you know, when, when I touch someone and they take the time to write back to me or to yeah. take me out and tell me, I, I just feel incredibly honored that, you know, that I was a conduit for something that really touched them, you know, whether it yeah. made them think about parenting in a different way, whether it gave them hope, you know, whether it made them say, one woman uh, wrote to me recently, she said, I read your book and I picked up the phone and I called my mother for the first time in 18 years. Wow. You know, that's very gratifying. That is incredibly gratifying. Oh, that's huge. Um, Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. You see, you know what's so great is you – I always say, but, you know, so you sit there, Laurie, you're behind your computer, you're writing and you're editing and (laughs) being coached and taking this out. And it's also, like, up in you, you know. It's all up in your world. And then – it goes out, and this thing that happened in, like, the most private place there is, which is inside of you, it then goes out, and it, and it reaches people and changes them and helps them see things different. It always feels just a little magical and unbelievable to me, even though it happens again and again and again, you know? 
I mean, isn't that what all artists want? They want their work to touch people, to resonate yeah. with people. You know, yes. to me, it's, it's, a, it's a communication between the reader and the author. And yep. it's really a collaboration. Yes. They bring their life experience. Yep. Yep. You put out your life experience or your wisdom or your information. And then there's like this kind of alchemy that happens between you. Yeah. And that's where the magic True. is. Yep. I agree 100%. And I, you know, for me, I haven't. I haven't published uh, a book in 19 years. So right now Whoa. I'm on the cusp Whoa. right before this book is coming out. It's coming out in just a couple of weeks. And yeah. it's like, it, you know, I have given birth a couple of times. It really <laughs> feels like I'm super pregnant. And yeah. I don't know what this child is going to be. You know, it's like no, this, you don't. this book is going to be born. It's going to go out in the world. And it's going to have its own life out yeah, of my kind control. Of... Yeah, I've raised a couple kids, and it's weird. I, I have not delivered them, uh, as you may have figured out. <laughs> but I did raise them. And I always think that when a, when a book is born, it's at once born and an adult at the same time. It like because you, you right. really is sort of in you, and no one can see it, and all of a sudden it's out and just and then it's released. There's no growing up. It just it's off, and you know it's off to college right away. It's but it right. but and it goes and has its own relationships. It meets its own people, and you hear back about it a little bit, but it's not yours anymore. Not yours anymore. And it well, also, I hope you know, it opens doors. Oh yeah, it, it opens doors for the author, which and I don't know what doors those will be. You know, no, I don't know don't. the people I'll meet because of it. I don't know the opportunities that will come my way. I don't That's know right. how it will be received. You know, there's just it's just such a um, it's really a crapshoot when you publish a book. It's it's such an uncertain proposition. It is a well, but you know, I always try to liken it to the writing process. In other words, you start the book, you don't really know what the hell it's going to be. Like you thought it was going to be a play, and then you mm-hmm. thought it was going to be a pistol. Like you don't know until <laughs> then you finally finish. You go, oh, that's what it was. And I feel like that that journey continues with the publishing. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know how many people it's going to reach, or right. and the, and I don't think you want to know. We think we do, but we don't. We want to go on the journey, right? Right? Don't we? Tell me we do. I don't want. I try to think I want to know, but yes, I, yes, we want to go on the journey. Yeah, come on. <laughs> you know, we one gotta of the things I've, I've been thinking about, Bill, is that publish something, it it changes your relationship. Like a memoir, yeah. you know, you write a memoir and you put your memories into a book, and of course you tweak them, you change them, oh, yeah. you yeah, yeah, manipulate yeah. them, you put them in different sequence, you highlight some things and you minimize other things to create yeah. a story. And then when I think about my past, like when I think about this primal relationship, mother-daughter yeah. relationship, I'm probably going to be thinking about the scenes in the book that's more right. than my original memories. That's right. That's, how it, that's what happens. That's what happens. I wrote a scene once where I, I wrote this thing that happened with my dad, and that was, some, that was a memory. But then I needed to add something. So I sort of created a memory. I kind of did this thing where it sent me on a walk through my hometown. And it was something that could have happened. It was sort of based on my, but it wasn't a distinct memory, but it was useful for that scene. I never published it, but suddenly I forgot that I made that up. I forgot that it, and it became cemented and that's what happened after the scene mm-hmm. at the, mm-hmm. with the restaurant. So, uh, so interesting. Listen, I could talk to you for a while. Our time is getting kind of coming to a close, but first of all, the book, because of various COVID related uh, reasons is going to be published. It's got coming out for, was supposed to be out now. I know, but it's going to be out in a couple of weeks. And so once it's out, first of all, people can right now, they can read a, get a taste of it on your website, right? Yeah. I have posted the first five chapters 
um, of the Burning Light of Two Stars on my website, and I invite you to come read them for free. Um, it's at www.lauradavis.net, and um, yeah. you could put forward slash chapters, uh-huh. or if you just go to www.lauradavis.net, um, you could read those chapters um, and get engaged in the story and meet the characters. Um, and if you're interested in pre-ordering the book, all the information is there as well. Um, I think I'm one of many, many authors who've been caught up in these yeah. supply chain problems. Yeah, well. it's a whole thing. I was just at a couple stores trying to get some stuff, and I was like, where the hell is everything? I can't. It was a little disappointing. <laughs> all right, but it'll come out. It's going to come out. All things will change. Everything's going to get back to something resembling kind of what it was before, and that book will be out, and people can read it. So go get it, people. Pre-order it. Pre-order it. Do it. It'll feel good. It'll be like giving yourself a present. It's going to be coming later. You should do it. So, okay, Laura, I got one more question for you, for you. And here's what I want you to do. Okay. I want you to finish this sentence. If writing, all the, all the writing you've done in your life has taught you anything, it's taught you what? That a truth teller can only be, tell as much truth as she is willing to admit. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Ain't that's the truth, Laura. That's awesome. Hey, that's good. I've asked that question probably a thousand times. That's the first time that answer has been given. So good on you. You got a new look at things. Hey, listen, congrats on the book. I know it was a brave and torturous, maybe a little bit, and a scary undertaking, but you did it. It's coming out. And, and I can say also that, you, that for someone who had not written memoir or really like personal narrative stuff. You did a great job. You did it. You found that voice. And in my estimation, you really did it. So good for you. Thank you. Thank you. It's been great to talk to you, Bill. It's been a lot of fun. Good luck with it. Okay. Thanks. Lovely to talk to you. Thanks. Yes. People got to tell the truth. You got to be willing. How much truth can you tell? It can't hurt you. You know, it can't. I don't believe it can. I think that this is, this is my opinion. That's not even an opinion anymore. It's been an experience repeated again and again. The truth is always friendly. That's right. It's always friendly. Okay, I'll be back again next week with another fascinating guest. Until then, I want to thank my producer, R.J. Jeffries, and to all of you out there, go find something you just love to do. Just love it and do it.